Welcome this morning. This is uh, our U40 service. And for many of you who grew up in the 80s, that is not a reggae slash pop band. Um, I mean, it is, but that's not what that means. This is our dedicated service to passing the torch and emphasizing our focus on saying to those under 40, this is your church. How would you do things? How would you serve the Lord? How would you set up and, and serve and uh, approach uh, leading the church in worship? And so you're saying, well, Pastor Jeremy, why are you preaching then? Uh, here's why, because most of the time we do have someone come in or someone in-house. But this morning, uh, one of our, our U40s is in India. Um, he left knowing that we would call on him to preach. So he just jumped on a plane and headed to India as far as he could get away from here. Uh, be praying for David and Sujana as they're visiting Sujana's family in India. Um, just that they have a very rewarding time. And, uh, uh, but our, one of our other great teachers here that's under the age of 40, uh, Stephen Gad, already taught this morning over in our, uh, our ABF. Wow! Listen to that. I don't need to say anything else. Like, I'm supposed to do the shameless plug for that ABF. You just heard it. So 9 o'clock, be here next week. Apparently, uh, there's some good stuff going on in there. Um, so it's already started. My focus this morning, knowing that uh, uh, I would be standing before you, is not to just speak to those under the age of 40. This is for everyone. But... I really am going to be focusing on that age group with what I'm sharing from Scripture. So let's go before the Lord and ask Him to guide our time. Uh, I, I absolutely love the generation at this church that's under 40. And I was sharing in our prayer time before we came in that pastors here all the time we read things all the time about how the younger generation, that next generation, is not interested in God and they definitely aren't interested in church. And so when you think about those components, our younger people stand in the face of that this morning. And so I, I couldn't be more thrilled with what they're bringing today. So I want to bring something to you to encourage you, to lift you up, to instruct you. And it's going to be in the spirit that Paul speaks to Timothy in his last letter to him while imprisoned in Rome. So let me ask that the Lord be clear in our time this morning. Father, speak mightily today in our hearts, our souls, our minds. I praise you for those that are serving in various capacities. I praise you that at Concord Bible, we can look, we can say, we see the Spirit of God rising up and inspiring through this next generation. That there is a difference that we do not need to uh, stress or feel uh, lost in the sense that what will happen when the rest of us move on? You have raised a mighty generation over and over and over. And you are doing the same here today. Let the body be inspired because of this. Let us see your work 
Now speak to each of us today through your word in your name. Amen. So the first thing I would say to those that are um, under 40 is make sure you're always on time. Okay. This morning, seven essentials for the next gen church. Now, I, I, this is spelled a G-E-N, next gen. That means generation. It just happens that my daughter's name is Gentry, and we call her Jen. So uh, don't, you know, I mean, just it, it's them, and you're included. So seven essentials for the next gen church. Doesn't that sound like a book? Doesn't that sound like every leadership book you ever pulled from uh, christianbooks.com? So I tried, to, I tried to go out and grab something that, that would be taught at Google, uh, that would be taught at Twitch, uh, that, would be, um, that would be part of the relevancy of some of the things that uh, may be handed into self-help books. The only self-help you're going to get here this morning is where to turn in Scripture. So turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And let's put up the... Uh, <coughs> Let's put up, <coughs> excuse me, the scripture here. This is at the end of Paul's time as he is speaking to Timothy. And this is just prior to, uh, more than likely, history tells us, uh, Paul being martyred. And this is some of the last instruction he passes on to uh, his disciple, the one he has invested in for years for maybe a decade or, or, or more. It is the one that he is entrusting with his ministry. You ready to turn over the keys to the car? You ready to sign o off on the mortgage? You ready to do a living will, living trust, and parse out your stuff to your kids? This is what Paul's doing. So let me read this says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teaching to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So this morning as we move forward in this, did I lose my, uh, my sermon? So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll give you the first one this morning. The first essential, and, and let me speak about uh, what Paul has just said. Think about the, the descriptors and the encouragement and the inspiration he's giving as his kind of last will and testimony to Timothy. Number one, preach the Word. Be prepared. You need to instruct. You need to correct. And you need to encourage and you need to do all this with patience. Not partial patience, but complete patience. And you need to do it for the long term. You need to see yourself involved with this in the long term. 
And then he says, he gives them a warning. He says, a time's coming when people will endure or, or will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Does this sound familiar? Now, every generation says that, just so you're aware. Every generation will talk about how the generation that's following is pursuing the latest, the greatest, the this, the that, the other. If you just do a study of religion in America, there were so many charlatans that popped up and became part of the, the circuit preaching because they could fleece the young, nubile minds of America and gather a, a, a group of people <coughs> to, follow, to follow them. Sorry, I'm not going to die. I, at least not yet. And if I do, Andrew, you're in charge. There we go. Passing of the torch. But he says you need to be patient. Why? Because there are going to be those that they're going to go out and they're going to try to believe anything and everything. The question for us this morning is, which camp do we fit in? Do we want to follow sound doctrine? Or are we those that are going to grab hold of the thing that makes us excited? If I told you there was a free lunch at Kinder's today, how many of you would focus Oh, that was hilarious. So many people were like, like in their own zone there for a second. When I said that, they went up like this. You just answered my question. Right? And it wasn't just guys that did it. There were some gals. Oh, what? But see, this is what the churches are guilty of as well. There are so many churches that they're so eager to, to put Julius in that seat that I'm going to do something, Julius. My daughter just said, stop. Stop. There's a, there's a great song by a band I love, and I can't, I, I'm, I'm not doing this. I thought about doing this because it was U40, and I thought, so let's bring in some relativism, right? But this is so old. These guys are so old. They're like propped up when they perform anymore. You, know, you just can't see the wires and the harnesses. But uh, on the latest album, Songs of Experience by U2, there's a great song called The Showman. And it applies so well to what our churches have become. And I want you to hear me clearly. Measure a church by how much they do the showman. Right? I don't even know what that is, but I have your attention. You're waiting to watch me pull a muscle, aren't you? And to go down. But, but the idea is this, is that we do so much to do a show. There was a time when this bothered me so much that I just got up and I read an entire chapter of Scripture for my sermon. And then I read it again. And then I read it again. And do you know how irritated people became? Isn't it amazing? The Word of God is not enough. We have to do the show. I didn't do my little sachet up here as part of the show just to make sure you're not... That's just me trying to teach. Trying to help us understand. There are those even back in Paul's time and Timothy's time, that they went and they pursued what? The thing that would impress them, feed their happiness, feed their, their self. 
not feed their soul. And Paul says, be warned about them. Do not become like that. Understand it will happen. Here's what I'm excited about, brothers and sisters. There's no show here. We have lights. You know why we have lights? So I can blind myself when I look into them. So that as there are people all over, and I literally mean all over the world that are tuning in, they can actually see what's going on up here. We don't put lights to create a mood or an effect. Or, now, is that like a horrible thing? No, that's not a horrible thing. But the more we make it about the show and less about being impressed with who? Jesus. We've lost it. We've lost it. By the way, the show can only be this good. Where Christ, there's no ceiling. There's no ceiling. So let me give you the first essential. Paul gave this instruction to Timothy. It sets us forth in moving forward. Essential number one, worship the Creator and not the creation. Worship the Creator and not the creation. Romans 1, 24-25. You see the Scripture there. And part of the problem that Paul sees in the church is that they stopped being enamored with the Creator. And idolatry comes in. Check yourself. How much does idolatry take place? And you're like, wait a minute, Pastor. I don't have like these stone figurines set up. And No, but we pour money into our cars. Because we love what they do. We pour money into um, entertainment. We pour um, our time into recreation. We put, you know what? And, and I started feeling guilty about this myself, about my, my coffee problem. But that has remedied itself. Babe, I, I got it free again today. I'm telling you, I've gone to Starbucks eight times. My last eight times, I've paid twice. So God's shining upon my relationship with Starbucks. I, got, I better be careful. Might be some lightning up here. But the problem is, is that we worship the created and not the Creator. We replace God with these other things that are superfluous. This is one of the biggest challenges for all of us, but I'm sharing this to the u 40 saying, watch yourself. Because this is the first step to losing your relationship with God or getting off track. Misapplied worship leaves us wanting. Worship the source, not the product. Amen? Second essential, love people like Jesus. By the way, going back to the worship the Creator and not the creation, let me give you a biblical example of that, and that's Solomon. Solomon, for all of his wisdom, was a great king. And he was remembered as a great king. And he was remembered as the one who, like, the two ladies are fighting over the child. And, and he gives the polemic, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to Ginsu knife him. And, and uh, you know, the next thing is, no, we found out who really is who. And, and wow, that guy's really wise. But you know the rest of the story? Solomon worshipped the created Solomon worshipped the women. Like, really worshipped them. And what came with that was marriages and connections and relationships with those who were not in sync with his faith and with his God. And so the very wise Solomon, the one who 
was given the opportunity to establish the temple, to set up God's temple, is the very one that set up temples all around the Holy Land of Asherah poles, other gods, because he worshipped the created, not the creator. And that guy's the wisest guy out there. Be careful. It's an essential. Second, love people like Jesus. Well, what do we mean by that? Let me go back to the story of Zacchaeus. Right? Zacchaeus, one of your top ten people in town. One of your faves. Definitely making it to Thanksgiving dinner, right? No. Zacchaeus was a diminutive person who was greedy, who was selfish, whom people probably did not associate with and probably had ill will towards him. And I can just imagine that the fact of that happening probably created an attitude within Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus may have been so lonely, may have been so isolated that he was enamored with who this Jesus is. And Jesus reached out to the one that nobody would love. Jesus reached out to the Zacchaeus. You got a Zacchaeus in your family? The one that's really hard to get along with? The one that you've made a million excuses as to why you don't need to love them? Or maybe somebody that's been hurtful towards your kids? That's really hard. How do you love someone who's been hurtful towards your kids? What's the passage? Because this answers it. Luke 23, 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. Jesus, in the midst of being crucified, says, Father, forgive them. What did I just challenge us on? The idea of loving people the way Jesus loved people. And Jesus knew the danger of God's wrath. You think about the fact that God was prepared to destroy the Israelites because of their sin in the desert with the golden calf and Moses interceded. There's some typology that's going on there between Christ and and the Father. And we don't know the details of how all that works out. But the reality is Jesus is interceding here on our behalf. Jesus loved us so much that He interceded between us and the Father and said, Father, Love them. Forgive them. Even though they're doing this to your son. How do we love people? Because the generation that's following what I hear over and over is you are being taught to hate. You are being taught to polarize. You are being taught to champion only your position. And if it's not your position, we need to make sure those people go down in flames. That's where our society is at this point. Do you know the best way to battle something like that, something so insipid, is the love of Jesus. When you see the love of Jesus, it melts away anger. And we see it over and over in Scripture. 
Again, think of Zacchaeus and the instantaneous change that happened in that man's life. Whom most people would have looked at and said, this is an unreachable person. This is not the person I'm going to love because it's just futile. The second essential for the church to be relevant is that we love people like Jesus. Learn to love what is ugly and you will begin to understand how Jesus loves. Third essential, hold fast to wisdom and truth. In Acts, as we were just there, we saw early on, and well, not too early on, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, the, the early formation of the church and the persecution that happened there. And, and we hear this great speech by the great uh, uh, teacher, okay, uh, that's the best way for me to say that, great teacher, leader, Gamaliel. And the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin had gathered together because they didn't like what Peter and the apostles were preaching. And they said, let's bring him in again. They've already been arrested a couple times. Let's bring him in again and let's kill him. Because this is affecting us. And Gamaliel in his wisdom says what? Gamaliel says some very famous words. He says, look, we've seen this before. And you know what? Rather than waste our energy and maybe get ourselves entangled in something that's going to make us look bad, let it run its course. Because we've seen this with other individuals, other zealots that have popped up and, and they eventually fizzle out. Or the people take care of it themselves. But if it is of God, there's nothing you can do to stand against it. Hold fast to wisdom and truth. It's amazing when you speak truth and when that comes from a place of wisdom, how it shuts the room down. Not to win the argument, but for the wisdom and truth to dictate the thinking. Learn to think critically and biblically, not subjectively. Make truth the foundation. Truth and wisdom are the stability of society, families, and faith. This passage that we have this morning, again, Paul is saying just... To, prior to what we read when we started out. He says, remind them of these things. Speaking to Timothy, telling him what, what his responsibility would be. He says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which is no good, but only ruins the hearers. What is one of the things that frustrates your pastor the most about current churches and movements and associations and coalitions? Most of these associations and coalitions and, and all of that, they're all about arguing about words. The very thing that the propagator of demonstrative truth says in the closing moments of his life to Timothy, let me pass on to you. Don't get involved in that stuff. Don't get involved in that stuff. Because it tears away at the fabric of what is true. Instead, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Brothers and sisters, there are mistakes we make. There are mistakes I make. And we understand our frailty. We understand our challenges and our difficulties. And we learn to deal with those things. But the more I make some kind of a concrete statement 
of truth, and it's not founded in truth whatsoever, listen to me carefully. You should walk right out those doors and find a church where they do speak the truth because I have lost all credibility. In your pursuit, you 40s, of searching for a place for you to be part of the community of Christ, find a place that says truth matters, that it's not subjective. Because when it comes to subjective truth, you're going to have chaos. And you're going to have sin trying to insert itself and live hand in hand with holiness. Those two things do not work. They do not work. One will overtake the other. Hold fast to wisdom and truth. Number four, walk daily according to the Spirit. Look up individuals and write these names down if you can. E.M. Bounds, George Whitfield, George Mueller. These are some of my heroes of the faith. They date back to the 19th century. They're individuals that walked according to the Spirit. I read a few years ago about George Whitfield and, and the Wesley brothers. Who founded Methodism? Does anybody know? The Wesleys! Woo! Charles and John, go boys, go, write those hymns. No, they didn't. George Whitfield. George and John worked closely together. You've heard about the great awakening that happened here in America and the great preaching that happened in the mid-19th century. George Whitfield was one of the largest, most effective preachers that ever came to the United States. Then he went back over to England. John then came over and John bombed. Because John wasn't walking in the Spirit. And so John saw himself in competition, so he started using little words and started putting down George because he saw George is in competition with him. Here's the measure of someone who walks according to the Spirit. The fracas became so toxic that George saw that and saw this, this does no good to anybody. Even though I'm the one that started this, and I don't have the exact quote, but it was something like this that he told John. For the sake of grace and the reputation of our Lord, I secede. It is all yours. You take it, do what you will with it, that the Lord might be glorified. You willing to take your life's work and hand it over to the flunky? Because that's what George Whitfield did. And the only way you can do something like that is if you're walking in the Spirit. Because he did not walk in resentment. He did not walk in bitterness after that. Those are the people I want to follow. Those are the people that I want to look at their life and say, how do you do that? Right? How do you do that? He walks daily according to the Spirit. The next generation is always wanting. Now let me finish that statement always wanting to fill a hole. For you under 40s, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. You have so much pressure. You have so many competing things trying to steal you away. There is so much weight on you to try to navigate that without walking in the Spirit is to make the whole larger. 
Walking in the Spirit creates the ability to bring heaven here on earth. It mitigates the dreariness of life and it inspires. It inspires. Without having to read a book that says, live the better you. Or whatever that is. A fresh daily dose of the Holy Spirit fills the whole. It is essential. Walking in the Spirit is attractive to most and offensive to some. That's where you want to be. That's how you know you're walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is a God-given right to each child of God. He doesn't parse out this tremendous opportunity to only those who He truly favors. He doesn't parse it out to those who only accomplish certain things. It is to those who name Him Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is given. This is one of the largest missing components I see in the church. And in anybody, not just a generation, but in anybody who is overcome by the holes in their life. They do not know how to pursue the Holy Spirit. But let me encourage you, just because you don't know how to do something, that hasn't held you back in a lot of other areas, has it? So pursue what that means daily. Romans 8, 4-5 talks about this walking. It says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. As I'm encouraging you in this essential to walk daily according to the Spirit, I would imagine your question would be, okay, pastor, but how do I do that? Paul gives you instruction. Start here. Start with what God says about Himself and how the Spirit works. Secondly, remove the things that keep you from having relationship. I can guarantee you, if I take my wife out on a date and we drive up to Krispy Kreme Donuts and I order a dozen and a large Coke, there's going to be a little tension in the car. There just is. Because she's going to want all those donuts for her. No, she's not. There are things we know that when we actively choose not to pursue righteousness, what do we do? We create a lack of connection with the Holy Spirit. So Paul says this, make the decision daily to set your mind on the Spirit. When you get up in the morning, before your feet touch the ground, before you do the great pivot into life, let the words cross your mind and as a prayer to simply say, I choose today to follow the Spirit's leading. When these feet walk, let them walk in the Spirit. And when I, they come back off the ground this, tonight and I get back in bed, let me be of one who has engaged now and has seen the Spirit work in my life. This is essential to be the church. Five, guard your heart, mind, and soul. I'm going to give you an example here of two characters out of the New Testament. Judas and Apollos. Judas, everybody gets. 
right? He did not guard his mind, his heart, and his soul. And that was to his what? To his benefit? Well, come on, he was completely rational. Mary took something that could have paid for a lot of people to eat for a long time and just put the whole thing on Jesus. Jesus didn't need that. Especially a guy who's financial, right? They're, they're not very emotive people. They're, they're financial, you know, they're, they're type A thinkers, right? Come on, look at what you just did here. We could rationalize Judas all the live long day, couldn't we? But see, just like God spoke to Cain, Cain did something that was disconnected with what it meant to worship God. And he was angry. And God came and he spoke to him and he said, Cain, if you just do what's right, you're going to be great, man. I threw in the man for emphasis. God didn't actually say that. You're going to be great. But be careful, Cain, because sin is lurking at your door and it wants to devour you. And he didn't heed that warning to guard his heart. And we know how that story ended, right? Same thing applies to Judas. He didn't guard his heart. I understand the frustration of what you had plans for. And Mary never consulted Judas. By the way, the rest of the disciples were frustrated too, but they guarded their heart. That's where Judas lost it. Apollos, on the other hand, comes along and he learns he's a great mind. He comes from Alexandria. He probably got some training down there. And he starts teaching in Asia Minor. And Aquila and Priscilla hear him teaching about Christ, but he's not teaching the resurrected Christ. So he's teaching a portion. Somebody just asked me today about someone who teaches, and I was having to share with them, look, a lot of what they teach is good, but they're only teaching a portion. And that can be, that can be dangerous. Because if we just take a portion of God, or a portion of Jesus, the one that satisfies us, we go right back to what Paul warned about, right? Do we not? We go right back to the thing that he said, hey, you're going to see individuals that just go and, and surround themselves with teaching that satisfies them. Not that challenges them or helps them grow spiritually. So Apollos was confronted by Aquila and Priscilla about his teaching being less than what it needed to. Rather than becoming bitter like Judas, like Cain, he put himself and subjected himself to these two Greeks and put himself under them that they might teach him. Someone who probably was a greater mind. The teacher subjected himself to those that he was trying to teach and humbled himself and became used greatly by God because he guarded his heart, his mind, and his soul. Question everything. This would be my encouragement to you. As we look at this, uh, let's go to the next slide. As we look at this, guard your heart, mind, and soul. Look at the instruction out of Colossians 2. By the way, I'm going to have multiple verses here as we're getting close to the end. Paul says this to those in, in Colossae as, as a very important instruction. He saw this even back then that this was important. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Right? We just had that instruction. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Then he gives a warning and he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit 
according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. You need to guard your hearts towards those things that are subjective, that have nothing to do with God's standards. Let's go to the next verse. He says this to the Corinthian church, according to the grace God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. I worked commercial construction and uh, I didn't know that what tended to happen in commercial construction is you went and you did the job, they hired for that job and when that job was done, everybody's gone. You're, you're, you're done. You're finished. The guy who I worked for uh, was a believer, and he wanted to help me out. He wanted to keep me on, so he took me back to the shop. And he said, uh, big, you know, big shop, kind of like Scott's. And he had a small shop that was walled in and, and framed in, and, and there was you know, drywall in the midst of this gigantic warehouse. And he said, I need you to install this wall unit, air conditioner, in the side of this wall. Now, I've been framing a steel building a five-story high-rise on Ventura Boulevard for two months. You'd think I could do that. But conceptually, I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the boss's office, and I'm, if I punch a hole in the wrong spot, it took me an hour to figure out where to punch the hole. And he just watched me languishing through this project. And we got about halfway into it, and he just said, man, I'm sorry. I'm just going to have to let you go. You know, I wasn't building according to code. I wasn't building the way that you need to build. And so as we look at this, he says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, and I think we continue on here, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Guard your heart, your mind, and your soul because there are insipid things that want to come along and drag you away from the Lord's truth. And if you don't hang on to the essential foundation of who God is and how God has set up all of this, and you start to let these other things creep in, it will break up the fra and fragment the church. And that's part of the challenge that the church is facing now. So important that we guard so that when that truth, when that foundation is tested, it doesn't just survive, you receive a reward you receive a reward. Number six, let's go ahead and, and keep going here. Make a difference in heaven, earth, and hell. Oh, I'm sorry, go back. You, you were already on it here. Um, I don't know if we can go back. Maybe we can. There we go. Make a difference in heaven, earth, and hell. And so the idea in, in looking at this passage and continuing as a segue from this passage is the following. Make a difference in heaven, earth, and hell. We just, again, talked through Acts, Paul, and the seven sons of Siva, or Sceva, however you want to say that. None of us were from there, so we don't really know what his name actually pronounced like. So, do you remember this story? 
these seven sons of this priest in this region saw the money that could be made because of the miraculous things that Paul was doing. And so they jumped on it and they started proclaiming Jesus. And they started trying to heal people in the name of Jesus. And they went up to someone who was demon-possessed and the demon actually interacted with them and said what? We know Jesus. We're very aware of Paul. We got nothing on you. And the pummeling commenced. Literally, the demons beat the crud out of these guys. Part of what wants to tear at the fabric of truth is there is no hell. Demons and angels are not real. The spiritual does not exist, only the tangible. That's a worldview called materialism or naturalism. Brothers and sisters, that worldview negates your soul. How anybody can hold to a worldview like that and still want to hold on to the properties of the soul and the individual is beyond me because those don't work. And the realities are, just like we read out of this, there's story after story after story that is evidential that all three of these components are in existence. Let me share this with you. Let's go to the next verse now. As far as how can we make a difference in heaven. So Jesus said, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is so desperately important that you understand that it's not Pastor Jeremy's sole job to lead people to the Lord. That if we all saw how the Lord works through each of us as living testimonies, walking in the Spirit and inspiring, and then because of our love for people, we share the truth with them, we would see a lot more lights lit. And do you know what happens when those lights get lit? You create a vacancy in hell. And you book a room in heaven. This is the greatest thing your generation can do. Bar anything. And Satan knows it. That's why he tries to dissuade you from doing it. He wants to keep his reservations on people. And don't you believe for one minute you can't do it. You can. You can do it. You can give testimony to God. Absolutely. Let me encourage just a couple things here. When it comes to this essential, make a difference in heaven, earth, and hell. Stop being a social justice warrior. Right? We hear about this all the time. It's not enough for me just to say that, though. Let me give some clarity. Because please don't think I'm against social justice. I'm very much for justice. Righteous justice. Okay? So here's my encouragement. Stop being a social justice warrior because I see that as good, but it's here. And a lot of it is misapplied. Instead, be a heavenly ambassador. Be an earthly advocate. And be a hell agitator. Number seven, in conclusion. 
is satisfy your soul and not yourself. Paul learned the mystery of being content. You all know the scripture because you're all Steph Curry fans, right? I can do all things through Christ who what? Who strengthens me. So I can do, and, and this is kind of the, the, and I've used this word too much today, but I'm going to do it again. This is the insipid lie that you've been fed. And it's actually starting to come out now. You know, the under 40 generation's been told, you can do anything you want. Um, no, you can't. You can't do anything you want. And so don't misapply this scripture. I can do all things because I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, sure, you could do all things, but here's the magic of this, the beauty of it, is God's marked out things for you to do. And there are things that you can do that would land here if you jump on board with the Lord and you start thinking about approaching things according to your soul and not yourself, if you jump on board, there is no ceiling to what God will do through you. That's what Paul's trying to say. There is no ceiling for the things God has intended for you to partner with Him on. There is no limitation. That's a better rendering of what Paul is saying. And by the way, he says, I've learned the mystery of this. I've learned the mystery of being content in all things. Remember we talked about that hole? and always searching for fixing the hole, Paul found it. That's what's behind what he's saying. He's saying, I've learned the secret of being contented, whether I have needs or whether I have everything I could possibly need. I've learned it, and it is this. Through Christ, there is no ceiling. Because when I am in Christ, I'm walking by the Spirit, and it changes my thinking to truth. If you practice the first six essentials, you will build depth and foundation of a healthy soul. If you simply pursue self-worth and self-happiness, you shortchange the brilliance of life and the ability to overcome. Reality is that often we are our own worst enemy. And to quote you two again, there's another great song called Get Out of Your Own Way. So much of the time, we get in our own way, and it's called self-justification, self-pity, self for self-happiness. That doesn't reach to the recesses and the depths of the soul. Stop shortchanging what really feeds us and grows us. Attend to the soul. Much of what we're taught to do is to walk up to a plant that doesn't look so good and we see the leaves that are brown and crispy and we just tear the leaves off. We don't water it. We just tear the leaves off. Pretty soon, what do you have? Dry stalks. There's a lot of dry stalks walking around because nobody told us to attend to the soul instead of the self. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, our soul, is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In closing today, I just want to encourage you, if you apply these seven essentials, you'll be a very different person a year from now. And this isn't just for the U40s. 
you will have done significant things and you'll taste the satisfaction of life that Jesus promised and only Jesus can fulfill. Amen. Let me close in prayer and then I'm going to ask one of our U40s to come on up and carry the rest of the service. Father, encourage us with these thoughts and with these disciplines that are not necessarily listed somewhere by Paul or by John or, or Peter or Christ Himself, but they are they're an index, Father, of the teachings by, uh, by Yourself through those individuals for life. And that we might be able to stand before You and stand before ourselves a day from now, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, and rejoice because we're a very different person. Because we practice and we embrace what you have given to us rather than the things that just tickle our ears. Thank you, Father. Help us apply this and live by it according to your glory. Amen.